0: Victory Church, come on, if you love the Lord, you better open up your mouth and act like you do. (laughs) How y'all feeling? Y'all feeling well? I'm excited, man. We have people joining us all the way from Angola, France, and Puerto Rico. Come on, somebody. Whippa. Whippa. Stop playing. Well, hey, my name's Kirvin. I'm excited to be here today, and uh, man, what an amazing time it is to be alive. God is doing incredible things in the earth, and especially in the hearts and in the lives of our teenagers. Uh, In fact, again, I just got to brag on God, uh, just one more again, Pastor Jelani, the past two nights, this room, this very room that you sit in here, in this room, there was close to a thousand teenagers going after God. Come on. The altars were filled with young people crying out to God, being delivered, being healed, being set free. My Lord, uh, some of our youth staff, we were here last night until about 11 o'clock. Come on, still doing some spiritual warfare and praying some students through some breakthrough. And uh, we believe, we believe wholeheartedly that the future is bright for this generation. We believe that God is not through with this generation. And um, really quick, before I dive into the Word, I got some friends with me. This is my Amen crew. Y'all make some noise for our, our Amen crew. We got some of our teenagers. We got, a, we got one staff member, Sarah. She looks like a teenager, but she is grown. She's, she's grown and married, too, paying bills, all right? And so uh, they're here in Victory Youth. We like to model engagement. We, we tell our students every single week that note-takers are history makers. That applies for parents and adults, too. All right, and so today... Um, I am thrilled not just to be here bringing the word for uh, Youth Takeover, but also to have this message. Uh, packed into the vein that we're already in, which is family on purpose, family on purpose. It's the series Pastor Johnson just kicked off last Sunday. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, But even before that series, we talked about what purpose looks like for the believer, what purpose looks like for, uh, for those of us who are just trying to follow God. And we define purpose as what? Our purpose in this life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Come on, you took notes, didn't you? I see you, I see you. Right, to to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But I believe that that purpose that you and I carry on this earth is not just meant for me, myself, and I. I I believe strongly that it is God's intent for us to not only be in this passionate pursuit after Jesus, but to also rally men and women, right? To also rally our families around us as we go after the heart of God. And so today, we want to just dive into this concept, this idea of, of what would it look like? What would it look like if we as the church... And I'm not just talking about mom and dad. I'm talking about all of us. If if we as the church, what would it look like if we begin modeling out our lives and our activities and our speech and our behavior in a way that was intentional, that was rooted in purpose for a generation around us to grow up in awe of the God we serve? What would that look like? So today I want to just dive in. By kicking off, uh, t- asking a question. I want to ask a question, and, and this is going to go to all the moms and dads, all the parents. Um, I'm going to make a statement, and if you agree with this statement, I need y'all to shout. All right, here it is. Parenting can be challenging. <clears throat> Some of y'all just had a little PTSD, like, oh, Jesus. For real? Listen, I, young people, I love y'all. Morgan, we love y'all. We, we love taking care of y'all, uh, nourishing you and feeding you and clothing you and pushing you into success, but baby, sometimes it's rough out here. It's rough. I, I'll, I'll never forget the moment when uh, my, my oldest daughter was about five years old. She's in the car in the back seat with her little journal and her crayons, and she's just scribbling away. And I look at my wife. I'm like, what is she writing down? She's only five years old. And so my wife said, Hey, baby, uh, Lyric, what are you writing? What what are you writing in your book? Are you writing down Bible verses? Are you drawing pictures of Jesus, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Pastor's kid, hopefully you're doing something that's glorifying God back there. My daughter's response "Uh, No, mom, um, I'm writing down all the cuss words that I know. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Now mind you, now mind you, she's five years old. So her idea of a cuss word is like stupid or shut up, but still nonetheless. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, babe. Um, are you writing these words down so that way you know like, okay, these, this is the no-no list. These are the words that I should never say. Is, is, that, is that what's going on? Her response, no lie. No, dad, I'm writing these words down so that way when I'm older, I can pull this book out and I can use every single one of these words. <laughs> Like, how do you respond to that? What do you Listen, parenting is challenging. But whenever it's in that stage, you know, Paul said it best that to the innocent, all things are innocent. Uh, there's this purity of heart that these kids uh, walk through in that season, in that stage of life. But how many of you know that as those children, as they grow, and as they experience life, that struggle begins to become very real. And the struggle becomes real very, very quickly. They are eventually plunged into a society with so many opinions, uh, philosophies, subjective truths that are fighting for their attention, that are fighting for their affection. And that's why in Victory Youth, we have a statement. It is our mantra. It is the banner that we do all things through. That in a world with a lot of voices and opinions, we tell our young people every week, baby, you are a voice and not an echo. God placed you in this earth for such a time as this, not just to mimic and mirror the godless rhetoric of our culture. Come on. We believe at this church that not only is mom and dad made for something great, but our young people are made for something great. Come on. We believe it. We believe it. And in fact, not only do we believe, May, that you were made for something great, but when we look at the words of the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to his young protege, Timothy, look at what he said to Timothy. And this is our banner verse at Victory Youth. It says, Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but rather set an example for the believers. Now notice, it didn't say set the example for your peers. Set an example For the believers in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see, I believe today in my uh, in, in in the depths of my heart that this generation, man, that there are great things that God desires to do and wants to do in and through our young people. I'm reminded of the moment when the disciples tried to shoo away the children because they were bothering the rabbi, and what did Jesus do? He rebuked the disciples, and he says, no, do not be a hindrance to these children. Let them come to me. He laid hands on them. He blessed them. And he said, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Young person, you don't have to wait until you're old to do something great for God. God can use you right here and right now. You know, there's this African proverb that we've all heard. Uh, it goes like this. It, 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 it goes like this. It takes a village. It takes a village to raise a child. Now, uh, the idea of this, of this proverb is basically this. If, if I could break it down. Uh, the idea is that in order for a child to grow and in order for a child to mature in a safe and healthy environment, it's going to take more than just mom and dad. Come on, somebody. It's going to take more than just mom. It's going to take a community of people who are committed to the development and the growth of that child. Now, I don't know what kind of neighborhood you grew up in. Um, Things are different these days than they were when I grew up. Uh, You spank your kid, they're going to be calling Child Protective Services on you. I don't know what they call them in Georgia, but the man is going to come knocking at your door. So, so times are different now. Y'all got it good. Y'all just get grounded from Instagram or you get grounded from your phone for, for, for a week or, or no 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 what they call it? No screen time. That's what y'all get, no screen time. Let me tell you about when I grew up. We took this whole village scenario literally. What that meant for me in my neighborhood is that at any given moment, almost any mama in the neighborhood could whoop my behind straight like like anyone like it could be miss mimi next door it could be miss susie across the street i'd be cutting up running around the neighborhood getting in trouble i get a bop right on the booty and i'd be mad i just hate it i hate it here i'm walking home and then i would hear the words that i would cringe hearing and i'm gonna call your mama and tell her what you did too I'm like, is there like an online sign-up for the whole neighborhood to just whoop my butt? Like, is there, is there a sign-up somewhere that I'm unaware of? Right? It was taken seriously. Listen, they call it child abuse now, but back then they called it help. <laughs> right? Because listen to me. Can I tell you, whether you are a parent of teenagers... Or whether you've raised children and they're out of the house and they maybe have their own children. Maybe you're in here married with no children. Maybe you're in here single and you're like, I ain't got no kids. Can I tell you something? The reality is that every person in this room, I would venture to say every person, on a weekly or maybe even a daily basis, you interact with teenagers, You interact. You pass by one bagging your groceries or handing you your Chick-fil-A. Come on, the Lord's chicken, right? (laughs) Right? Come on, somebody. It's my pleasure. Oh, it is. Thank you. Let me get that sauce. (laughs) Right? Come on. You interact with teenagers on a day-to-day basis. And whether you're old or young, married or single, listen to me, church. We are all a part of this village. And how we interact with the next generation matters. And I personally believe it matters more now than ever before. It takes a village. So if you're taking notes today, like my amen crew, look at Emily, she's taking them notes. She's all in there. Let's go, Emily. If you're taking notes today, if you need a title for this message, you could probably scribe the title as this. A voice in the village. There is a voice in the village And my desire today is that we all leave this room with the understanding that when we we live in everyday example, we create an eternal impact. When we live in everyday example, we can create an eternal impact. Look at the words of Franklin D. Roosevelt. He said this. I love this quote. He said, we cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future, right? Right? So parents, yes, you are absolutely the center of influence and responsibility in your child's life. Listen, at every campus of Victory Youth, we have incredible youth services that we want your kids to be a part of. We pray, we fast, we strategize to curate a space for them to encounter God. But baby, we only had that kid two hours a week and they're with you every other hour that week. So the the reality is that mom and dad, there is a heavy responsibility placed on you. But beyond that, listen, beyond just that, can I just tell you, we are all a part of this village and these young people need more than just mom and dad. They need everyone in this room to notice their potential. They need everyone in this room to show them what it means to love God by example, to love them with a love that's sacrificial. And so today we find... This to be true in the story of a young man named Samuel. Now, many of you already know who Samuel is. He, he, he's an Old Testament prophet. He's actually the first of all the prophets uh, other than Moses. He was one of the greatest um, leaders in the Old Testament. But we find the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3 when Samuel is just a child. He's not this great man of God that he one day grows to be. He's a child and he's living in the tabernacle. So when his mother gave birth to Samuel, once he was weaned, she dedicated him to the house of the Lord. So here's a young man that literally dwelled in the house of the Lord and consequently was raised by the priest and his mentor by the name of Eli. Come on, somebody say Eli. Eli. And so the Bible says in chapter three, starting at verse one. As we dive in, it says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. And one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, I want y'all to catch that. Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. And the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Are y'all with me? Say, I am. So the Bible goes on to say, suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? And he got up and he ran to Eli, saying, here I am. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you, Eli replied, so go back to bed. And so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Samuel, I did not call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. And watch this. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. Have you ever been in a season where you just felt shrugged off? Come on, I'm talking not just to teenagers, I'm talking to adults. Have you been in a season where you just felt over, overlooked? You just felt unseen? In this life, sometimes there are a lot of young people specifically who are just trying to navigate. They're trying to figure out what it looks like to live a life that honors God or, or, or maybe what it looks like just to live a life that that, that that is fruitful, that's productive. And no one in that journey likes to feel overlooked Or unseen, And I would imagine that Samuel felt just that in that moment. I would imagine that Samuel, after going to him once, twice, and being told to go back to bed, I would imagine that he felt unseen. He felt unheard and shrugged off. And I would venture to say today that the cry of Samuel's heart in that moment was probably similar to the cry of a generation today, which is simply this. I just need you to notice me.
1: Sometimes I feel like I'm invisible. And like, I don't have a voice. It's like everyone has something to say, but nobody wants to listen. And believe it or not, I'm not just a problem that needs to be fixed. I actually have something to say. But will you listen? Will you take time not just to hear me, but to understand me? To be that safe place, an open heart to help me process these thoughts that keep me up at night. Because listen, I know you don't understand how or why I spend so much time scrolling through TikTok. And drowning in the likes, follows, and highlight reels of Instagram. I get it, but I hide there because from time to time, it gives me a sense of belonging, like I matter. Like I'm seen. But even those moments are short-lived because when the trends fade and there's not enough red hearts beside my name, I'm left empty once again. Looking and hoping for somebody to
0: notice me you notice me? Will you notice me? I heard this story, wild story. It's a true story actually um, of the emperor of Sicily, the king of Sicily uh, back in the 13th century. His name was King Frederick II. And this king wanted to do this crazy experiment. He, he, He had a desire to discover the natural language of mankind. So his theory was What if a child is born into the earth and they're not spoken to, they're not talked to, they're not nurtured, they're they're, they're not shown any emotion, what natural language will they just speak organically? So this crazy guy takes 40 babies from their birth mothers and places them in the hands of a bunch of nurses, and the nurses were instructed to feed them, bathe them, and clothe them, and that's it. Don't talk, don't smile, no goo goo ga no emotion, nothing. A zero-interaction atmosphere. Well, needless to say, the entire experiment was a failure because before they had reached one year in this model, every single one of those babies passed away. Every single one. And I don't mean to get morbid and, and dark on the very first point of this message this morning, But I want you to understand it's key that we notice that these babies did not pass because they were lacking physical nourishment. These babies passed because they were lacking the emotional and the relational nourishment that is necessary for them to thrive. And can I just say the same affirmation and the same uh, tender, loving care, and the same uh, affection that those babies needed and that they still need today, teenagers need it as well, if not more so. They need to know that there are people who care for them, who love them, who simply see them where they are. And we find young Samuel, theologians believe Samuel in this passage was as young as 11 years old. And he's living in the house of the Lord. And not once, but two times, he runs to Eli. He hears this voice. He doesn't even realize in the moment that it's the voice of the Lord. But he's running to the only person he knows, the only authority or oversight or leader in his life for for guidance. And both times, he's told, bro, no one's calling you. Go back to bed. You know, and I find it really ironic. You see, the Bible, if you really read the Bible, you'll notice that there's little details placed in Scripture that if you're not careful, you'll flip right over to miss a whole revelation. Because I find it ironic that the Bible literally describes Eli as being uh, almost blind. One translation says that his eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. And we all know what the Bible says about vision. Vision. The Bible says where there's no vision, people perish. So the question today that we have to look in the mirror and ask, mom and dad, young adult, teenager, the question we have to look in the mirror and ask is, my God, have we become like Eli? and Have we allowed our eyes to become weak? Come on, have we lost vision for what God can do in this generation? Come on, do we look at the generation around us? Do we see brokenness or do we see beauty? When we look at the teenagers in our lives, do we see a, a generation reeking of rebellion or do we see reservoirs of revival? Come on, do we see problems or do we see prophets? Do we see a valley of dry bones or do we see an army? I can go all day. What do we see when we look at this generation? I believe a lot of us, it's so easy to lose vision for what God can do through a generation. And and, and the reality is this. We talk about emancipating greatness, but can I tell you? You will never emancipate greatness in people until you first start seeing people. And that's why Jesus was so great. That's why Jesus was incredible in all that he did because Jesus would not only meet the need, he would not just perform the miracle, he would see people right where they were. Come on, he would, he would spend just as much time with the leper that he would spend with the priest meeting him in the midnight hour. Come on, he would spend just as much time with the woman at the well that he would in the temple with the Pharisees. Come on, I'm talking about a God who meets people right where they're at, and he's called us to do the exact same thing. We've got to notice the generation around us. And here's three things I feel we need to notice. Here it is. Number one, we need to notice their desires. We need to notice their desires. We have to take notice of the gifting and the potential that God has placed on the inside of them. Come on, we need to take uh, notice of the passions that God has put in them. When my daughter was, uh, was young, when she was in her door of the Explorer phase, she loved to sing, and we named her Lyric Ciela. So her name means Song of Heaven. So we thought our our, our baby girl was going to grow up, lead worship, lead people into the presence of God. But when she was in her door, the Explorer phase, my girl was wild. She'd be walking around with a Queen Elsa dress on with combat boots. And she would be singing at the top of her lungs, but the poor baby could not carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) I looked at my wife like, baby, I think we miss God on this one. (laughs) Facts. But can I tell you, she was so passionate about singing that we stewarded that gift come on parents I'm talking to you we stewarded that gift and we put her in vocal coaching and we begin to encourage her and say baby if you love to sing if it's it's a joyful noise but go on and make that joyful noise to the Lord come on we surrounded her and then the greatest thing that could have ever happened happened two years ago we got a phone call to move to Atlanta Georgia to join Victory Church where she was surrounded by a worship community that saw greatness inside of her that called it out and this morning, I was in tears in worship watching my child up here and worshiping the Lord and leading thousands of people in worship. What? What? Listen. There's greatness inside of the People, the the students in your row, in your home, in the neighborhood, and we have been called by God to call forth that greatness. We have got to notice their desires. The second thing we need to notice as I move along is this. We need to notice their dilemma. Who? It got real quiet right there. We got to notice their dilemma. Like newsflash, teenagers be going through some stuff, like major stuff. And so easily, we shrug, sometimes we just shrug the stuff off. Uh, can I just say this? Sometimes life is so fast-paced and it's so hectic. Uh, sometimes we completely miss these monumental moments that happen right in, now, in, right in front of us. Because life's so, he- life's so hectic and there's trauma and issues and things going on. Sometimes moments happen and we miss them. Can I tell you all about a major moment that I just realized three days ago that I missed? Can I tell you? Me and my wife were at Walgreens, in Buford, doing our thing, picking up some, I don't know what we were picking up. And I passed by the magazine rack. And the magazine, the cover of the magazine said, people we've lost. I said, oh, dang. So I picked it up and it had Michael Jackson on there, Amy Winehouse, Steve Jobs. Y'all, Prince was on the cover. Did y'all know Prince died? <laughs> well, why would y'all tell me? Yo, I was in Walgreens bugging out. I'm like, Prince? Like, Purple Rain? Like, no. I was, y'all had me in Walgreens looking bad, Victory. I'm in there freaking out trying, like when when did this happen? Look, even the little white lady in line said, well, I bet you didn't hear about the queen either, did you?" I said, nobody asked you, Evelyn. Nah, y'all are laughing, but for real, I was struggling. Like Sarah, I was struggling. I went home. I literally went home, and I'm like, yo, how did I miss this? And I began looking through my calendar, through my photos, like what was going on in April of 2016 that would cause me to miss this? Come to find out, I was in one of the darkest seasons of my life that month. I was going through all types of inner turmoil, deaths in my family, depression, anxiety. I was broken in that season just trying to navigate. And here's what I discovered. There is this thing. Some of you have heard of it. It's called dissociative amnesia. Now what that is, it's a, it's something that your brain does to protect itself. Anytime you're in a traumatic situation or a traumatic season or a traumatic experience, your brain by default will block certain memories in an effort to protect itself. And I believe that I experienced something like that because of everything going on in my life. There was this monumental thing that I didn't even recognize and notice. And can I tell you something? When we look at the last two years that we've been through as a nation and as a world, we cannot allow the trauma that we're still dealing with to rob us of the reality that we still have teenagers who are still trying to process all of that stuff. We can't allow the trauma to cause dissociative amnesia and to overlook the kid because the reality is this, that same thing that almost took some of us out Come on, it affected our young people in a major way. I heard, this, uh, I heard this survey that was done, and it stated this, that the level of anxiety that teenagers face today is comparable to that of a psych patient in the 50s. Now get ready for this. And this study was done four years before COVID. So you can't tell me that the stuff they're dealing with is, you can't tell me it's not real. You cannot tell me that young people are not struggling with 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 agnostic ideology and sexual confusion and identity crisis you cannot tell me that, that these thoughts in their head and these questions and doubts are not real Can I tell you we have a generation of, of isolated and spiritually apathetic teens that are filled with all of this emotional unrest and we as the church cannot downplay their dilemma come on God has called us as a church as a family as a village to see a need and to feel it come on to see a hurt and to heal it why here's why because I can preach at my son all day about what Jesus needs wants to do in him but he's not gonna care how much I know until he first knows that I actually care so our students our young people our sons and daughters they need to know that we are a church we are a family who care about their dilemma here's the third thing we got to notice their desires. we got to notice their dilemma. And thirdly, we got to notice their destiny. Come on, somebody. We've got to notice. We've got to realize that they truly were made for something great. We have to notice and, and, and come to grips with the truth that, man, we only got one shot. We only got one shot to, to, to pour the love of Christ into the earth and to reach young people with the love of God. But here's the, here's the question. Here's the question. How will we ever equip this generation for the destiny in the distance if we never prepare them in the present? We say, hey, the future's bright for you, young man. Okay, well, what does that look like right now? How do we prepare them right now in real time for this great future that God has promised? That's why not only is it important that, that we respond to the voice that says, notice me. But I believe a generation is also crying out, please, will you show me?
1: The older I get, the more I realize that there's so much that I don't know. Imagine that. It's a big world and sometimes it's scary to imagine that I have a part to play in it all. And that's why I watch you so closely. Of course, I would never let you know that I'm watching. But I am. In fact, I'm learning more from what you do than I am from what you say. Because believe it or not, I'm I'm very nosy. I hear the conversations behind closed doors. The frustration. The bills. The unmet expectations. Honestly, I don't know how you do it. But when I see you take your fears and worries to God, and when I see you trust him, even when it's hard, it encourages me in a big way. But when you don't lean on God, I see that too. And I'm left with questions. So yes, I need you to teach me how to follow Jesus. But more importantly, I need you to show me.
0: Listen. Yeah. I'm going to let them say it. Yeah. I'm learning more from what you do than from what you say. Ooh, how many of us were raised hearing the completely opposite thing, though? <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. Someone in the first service said, ooh, trauma, right? <laughs> Facts, right? Can I tell you? More is caught than taught, period. I can, I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but what my children are gonna model out is what they see. And that's why it's important that we show this generation what it means to love and honor God. Listen to this. There's a lot of people in this room who have had unintended behavior modeled out in front of them rather than intentional example given to them. Did y'all catch that? A lot of us grew up where there was no purposeful modeling of what it meant to honor God, what it meant to be a father who who provided and took care of of, of the children and provided for the family. And No, no, uh, and, and here's the problem with that. Whenever we live life not on purpose and not on mission, life just happens by accident. And growth is never, it never happens on purpose. And there's a problem with that. I love this quote. In fact, I had five people say, I need to find that quote. Sheikh Rashid, he's the ruler of Dubai. He said this, I want you to listen. And this is one of the wealthiest men on planet earth. He said, my grandfather rode a camel. And my father rode a camel. I drive a Mercedes. My son rides in a Land Rover. And my grandson will also probably ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. Stick with me. He was asked, why would you say that? Listen to his response. Because hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Stick with me. Easy times, however, create weak men. And weak men create more difficult times. Watch me. Many will not understand it, but it's, it's important that we raise warriors and not parasites. What? Come on, Dubai. <laughs> Shout out, Dubai. Listen, we know what the word says, though. We train a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. Come on. This generation needs leaders, not just to notice them, but we got to go a step further and actually show them what it means to honor, to obey, and to follow God. Samuel went to Eli twice. Bro, was like, like, like Eli, what's going on? Did, did you call me? I, I'm trying to decipher this voice. I'm hearing this guidance. But is it you? What do I do? And twice, Eli was caught slipping. He said, go back to bed, bro. I don't know if you hear the Lord or if it's the Lord of the Rings. All I know is it's late. (laughs) I'm tired. Go back to bed. But then something dramatic, something drastically amazing happened in verse eight. When there was a shift. I love it when there's shifts in the Bible, when things just change. In verse 8, something miraculous happened. The Bible says that the Lord called Samuel a third time. Pause. Come on, aren't you thankful we serve a God that when we miss it the first time, we miss it the second? Come on, we serve a God that will pursue us. Y'all better talk to me, Victory. The Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up, went to Eli, saying, Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Son, go lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Come on, somebody. Speak, Lord, your servant. Is I'm almost done, but here's what I find really profound about this whole story. Is that God had a word that needed to be delivered. And yet, God chose not to give it to Eli, but he gave it to a child instead. God entrusted his word to a teenager, but then trusted the older to affirm it. Listen, I'm telling you today, church, You may feel like this generation is lost. Come on. You may have young people in your life. You may have children, grandchildren, wayward children, nieces, nephews, friends who are far from God. And you may feel like this generation is lost. You might feel like they're hopeless. You may feel like they're on the brink of destruction. Come on. But I believe the words prophesied by Joel that in the last days that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Come on. That sons and daughters would prophesy that old men will have dreams that young men will have visions. Come on. I still believe that the God of Jacob has a word for this generation today, right here and right now. I believe it. You can't tell me otherwise because I've seen what he's done in my own life because I've seen what he's done in Emily's life. I've seen what he's done in May's life and in Ty's life. I've seen God move in the lives of young people. He's never changed his heart, the same God that spoke to Samuel then is the same God that is speaking to a generation today, but we just need leaders who are attentive to the spirit of God, and who are willing to lean in and show this generation what it means to honor God. And I know some of you are thinking, I ain't got no kids. Some of y'all thinking, well, I got kids and they grown, but they crazy. (laughs) Can I tell you something? You don't have to be perfect in order to speak into someone's purpose. You don't have. (laughs) Oh, I wish I had more time. Listen, in fact, if you want, if if really, okay, if you want to get messy. If you want to be petty, if you flip a couple chapters back, you will discover that Eli was not perfect by any means. Not at all. Come on, all my petty people. Oh, I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to read that. <laughs> no, no. You, you 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 if you go back to the first chapter of 1 Samuel, you will discover that Eli, even as a priest, was judgmental. He was passive in his leadership. Uh, he was a he was subpar in his parenting. Uh, His two biological sons uh, literally uh, were wicked men who did evil in the sight of the Lord. So Eli, although he was a priest, listen to me. Eli, although he was a priest, was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect parent. But what made Eli different, baby, no matter what happened before, no no matter what mistakes he made with his own kids, in this one moment, he was the man that God needed him to be. He was the voice. He was the voice that Samuel needed to hear in that moment. And all it takes is one moment in the presence of God. There are young people that a simple high five or a hug. Maybe not a hug. It's kind of weird sometimes. (laughs) But there are young people that a simple high five, a simple, hey, I believe in you, young man. What does it do to a teenage boy to hear a man, maybe a teenage boy who didn't have a father in the home, to see, to hear a man of God affirm the king on the inside of him? What? Come on, there is power. In us showing this generation, like I said earlier, Paul said to Timothy, don't let them play you, bro. It doesn't matter if you're young. Don't let them play you. You lead by example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your purity. Did I hit them all? I did. Let's get it. (laughs) Right? He said, don't let them play you, bro. Lead by example. And do you want to know how Paul could speak that boldly to Timothy? Here's why. Because Paul had been modeling it out in front of him. Paul wasn't calling Timothy to do anything that he was not already doing. Come on. Jesus himself. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Jesus himself came to this earth, lived a sacrificial life, and laid his body. Jesus has not called any of you to do anything he did not already walk through himself. I haven't been crucified on a cross. Have you? (laughs) No. No, Paul spoke so boldly to Timothy because he was modeling out what he was calling Timothy to live out. Can I tell you something, church? If we're not showing this generation the right thing, I promise you the world we live in is showing them something. (laughs) Samuel hears God's voice the first time. He runs. I'm available. I'm here. Calls him a second time. He runs. I'm here. But if we don't teach young people how to hear the voice of God, then the question then becomes, what are we going to allow them to run to and say, I'm here? A screen? Filth online? Relationships? Come on, somebody. Oof. Can I get in your Kool-Aid real quick? What, what, what are we allowing them? Like, what, is it this identity that's solely built around sports? I'm going to say, I'm going to say. Mm. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with sports. I love, my kids play sports. But let me give you all a stat that I thought was rather intriguing as a youth pastor. 0.0005%. <clears> Point <throat> zero 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 five. That's like real little. That percentage of American teenagers will actually grow up to play a professional sport. But every single one of them will stand before God. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Don't throw nothing at me. (laughs) Hey, what I'm not saying is, hey, take your kids out of sports. Absolutely not. No, let them kick the ball if they're good at it. But whenever sports and curricular activities begins to interfere with their spiritual formation, come on, church, when they can't come to youth group because they got to We got to show them by example that there is nothing on this earth nothing in this life that is more important than our spiritual formation they got to see us praying they got to see us being faithful they got to see us tithing and giving and being generous people they have to see us living this thing out so God speaks to Samuel I'm gonna wrap this up really quick here he speaks to Samuel it was crazy is that if if you continue to read the word that God gave Samuel, it was actually a word of judgment on the house of Eli, like bad news. In fact, Eli comes to Samuel the next day. He says, what did God say? Tell me right now. Like, read it. (laughs) Like, tell me right now, what is it? So Samuel tells him, Eli, your house will be crushed. Your sons will perish. Everything you've built, everything is done but I want us to look at what Eli's response is in that moment. He says in verse 18, if it is the Lord's will, then let him do as he pleases. Listen, literal pages before Eli's demise, he's showing Samuel what real, honest, raw faith looks like. He's showing the younger generation, this young man of God, what it means to not just hear God, but to obey him even when it's tough. Hmm. The beautiful thing about this whole story is that before Eli noticed Samuel, before he showed Samuel how to respond to God, all of it, if you trace it all the way back, it traces all the way back to a moment of prayer. See, what you don't know about Samuel, some of you may not know this, but his mother Came to the tabernacle. Came to the tabernacle, weeping for God to give her a child. She was barren in her womb, and she came. We- in fact, her her prayer was so violent that Eli thought she was drunk. Come on, listen. Ooh, there's a difference between praying for and praying through. Come on, stop playing with God. Some, listen, I know what it's like to have a mother who would pray through some things, and she prayed through and said, "Lord, if you give me this child." I will dedicate him to the house of the Lord for all of his days. Which brings me to my final thought. Not only is the voice in the village saying, notice me, show me, but I believe they're crying out, will somebody just pray for me?
1: Notice. Show me, love me. But what I really need is for you to pray for me. Pray for my safety. Pray against the violence that plagues my generation. Whether in the womb or in the classroom pray for the unrest in my mind for the fear and anxiety that grips my heart over the pandemics and the politics racism and riots pray against the confusion that has blinded my generation where the truth is based on preference where blurred lines have blurred minds i need you to pray like never before because i believe that the same god that rose from the tomb valued my life even before the womb yes i believe that the cross has never lost its power to redeem. I believe that revival is not on the way, but I believe that revival is here. And I believe that I don't have to wait until I'm old to do something great for God. I can make a difference in my world right now. Why? 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 Because I believe that I was made for something great. But the question is, do you?
0: Do you believe it? you believe it now I'll never forget the years I spent in addiction as a teenager broken lost hurting far from God there were two people in my life that prayed me through one of them is my wife she's my wife today but I remember being in jail and facing 10 years in prison 17 years old and I was a broken man. I was a junkie. And I don't say any of that to glorify the enemy because of of the grace of God. I'm here today. Come on. And I'm making hell pay every morning I wake up. As long as I got breath, hell is going to pay. Come on, my children are going to live. Right? But let me me just say, I I get the call, you have a visitor. I go to that wall of glass, and it would be my friend, Candice, on the other side. We weren't dating and it wasn't a romance. She was my friend. She, she, she was very smart. She was like, I love you. I pray for you, but you do drugs. <laughs> this won't work. Not happening. But she would look at me and she would say, You're a man of God. There's greatness inside of you. There's something that God is going to do great through you. Stop playing like God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Come on. She called the king forth. That's what God's called you and I to do. That's what he's called us to do. My mom, there were so many nights. I remember, my mom's watching online right now. What's up, mama? <laughs> but there were so many nights. I remember laying in my bed and coming home just, just completely intoxicated and laying in my bed and just in my misery laying there bound to sin and feeling, feeling like there was no hope for my life. And I'll never, I'll never forget The sound of my mom's footsteps in the room next door, those footsteps through the hallway all around the house, those footsteps where she would be up in the middle of the night crying out to God for me to encounter the presence of the living God. And I believe today that we oftentimes forget as adults, as leaders, young adults, as parents, we sometimes forget that there is still power in prayer. So we can put, listen, we can put everything into practice that we talked about. You can work on noticing your child, being more verbal in your affection. You can affirm them better. You can do all these things, and I encourage you to do these things, but at the end of the day, we gotta pray. we gotta cry out to God for this generation. So right now, if you're a teenager in this room, I want you to stand up on your feet right where you're at. I promise I'm not gonna embarrass you. Go ahead, stand up. Some of them know me. They're like, mm-mm, Pastor Curvin. I don't know. You'd be out here wilding. Stand up on your feet if you're a teenager. And I want y'all to just look at me real quick and hear me when I say that we see you, that we notice you. I see you, King. I see you, man of God. Come on, sweetheart, we see you. Listen, this world did not design you, so this world cannot define you. You're a child of God. With purpose and destiny and a future inside of you that is bright. Come on. We see you. You shall live and you shall not die. And we believe in you. And parents, mom and dad, let me just say. The babies that we goo-goo and gaga over at baby dedication. Like. Like. These are the same babies that we just prayed over so when do we stop or, or when do we fall back out of the commitment we made to pray for them to rate no, no if ever they need you they need us now more than they did then so right now what I want to do I want to do a teenager dedication <laughs> I want to take a minute right now come on Mom and dad, if you're close by your child right now, if you're beside them, just maybe grab their hand, grab their shoulder, mom and dad. And here's what I want to do, and this don't get creepy and weird. But like, if there's a young man that's close by you, that maybe mom and dad, if there's a young man, and if you are a man of God filled with the spirit of God, just put your hand on his shoulder. Just right where he's at. Or if there's a young lady that's standing and maybe mom and dad isn't there. If you are a woman of God filled with the spirit of the living king, go ahead and put your hand on her shoulder as well. And we're just going to pray right now. Come on, collectively. Everyone else, just stretch your hands towards a teenager. Wherever you see one, just stretch your hands there. Father God, we thank you today, Lord Jesus, that, that you are a God who is concerned with the generations. Lord, you're not just the God of right here and right now. You are the God of generations. Lord, you said in your word that blessings will flow to our sons and our daughters and our children's children and our children's children, God. So I right now, God, I speak your peace and your blessing over every young person in this room. Even if you're online right now, I speak the blessing of God over you, young man. I speak the blessing of God over you, young lady. Lord, that although we live in a society that, that, that forces you to, to believe the lie that there is a bar you have to hit, that there is a performance, a dance... you have to do for acceptance and love i speak the love of jesus over you because the love of god is enough it says that you're enough So I speak that over every young person in this room. And Lord, today, as a church family, as a village, we commit in this moment. Come on. We commit in this moment, Lord God, to being the village that these young people need. And I know we may not know them all by name, but God, as we pass by them in the lobby, as we pass by them in the cafe, Lord, we won't walk briskly past them. We will take every opportunity we get to bless them, to honor them, to pray for them. Come on, to lift them up, Lord God, in our prayer time. Lord, we lift up every wayward child in this moment. Every son, daughter, niece, nephew, grandchild, cousin. God, every young person that is far from you, by the power of God, would you arrest their heart and bring them home, God. Lord, we love you. And we honor you and we thank you for all you're doing in this generation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody. Amen. And amen. Come on, shout to the Lord if you love him today. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. And let me just say, if you're a parent, if you have teenagers in your life, every Sunday night at 5 p.m., We have incredible ministry that happens for teenagers, 7th through 12th grade, right here in our chapel. And you want to know the beauty. I'm done. If you hear one thing, hear this. Samuel was able to hear the voice of the Lord and then go on to be one of the greatest men of God in the Old Testament. Why? Because his mother and father placed him in the temple. Placed him in the temple. Can I tell you? We've got to prioritize getting our students in the house of the Lord around peers that love the Lord. Come on. Sunday morning is great. Thank God for Sunday morning. But we have an entire community of other teenagers that love God. There were a thousand of them in this room last night. And they love the Lord. And you need that community, young person. Mom and dad, they need that community it may be inconvenient to come out on a Sunday. I get that. But can I tell you, there is nothing more important than the spiritual formation of your child. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, and maybe you heard something that, that moved or quickened in your spirit about this next generation, can I just say that we will never impact the world around us on an, on an eternal, in, in an eternal way. If we're first not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, you see, the first step is is, is giving God our yes, accepting the Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our King. It starts there. So if you're here today and maybe you've never made that commitment, you may have grown up in church your whole life, but yet never made that firm decision to give God your heart. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, you're going to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to lead you in a prayer that I know will change everything. So if that's you, whether you're a parent or maybe you're a teenager and you're ready to give God your yes. If that's you, here it is. One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you're at. Lift it up high enough and long enough for me to see it. I see that hand, brother. I see that hand, sweetheart. I see that hand, woman of God. I see you. A lot of teenagers putting their hands up. I see you. And church, let's pray this prayer along with our friends. Come on, open up your mouth. Say, God, it's me. You know who I am. I've made mistakes, and I've broken your heart. But today, I believe that my life can change. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sin, rose from the dead, and one day, you're coming back to get me. So forgive my sin, heal my heart, and change my mind. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I want to live for God. So according to your word, and by faith, I believe that I am saved. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. Come on, in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, I wish I had a few people in here who love the Lord, who would shout to God. Hallelujah.